Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and I want to welcome you to Season 3 of Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with authentic and courageous leaders from all over the globe. You will learn from leaders you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolkit. Leadership belongs to all of us. It's not measured by stature or title. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. I have interviewed over 220 leaders since we started in May of 2020. And I want to thank you for the messages that you send me. I do personally read them all. And I have had a desire and a passion to really start interviewing some executives at the C-suite level. We've had a few on the show and I'm going to make a diligent promise that I'm going to try and have as many C-suite leaders as I can on the show. So we're going to start today with a chief operations officer, also known as COO. And I'm starting with Rod Anderson. Rod has an amazing story. He's now a COO in the giftware and apparel space, but that is not where he started. 30 years ago, he gained his experience working in automotive parts manufacturing. He has such a unique style of leadership. And I believe that like all of us, our life story, our leadership story allows us to pack up so many transferable skills and they continue to add to our journey. So Rod's journey started in 1991 in a small, greater Toronto area-based tier one automotive components manufacturer. And he was there with a medical engineering background, but it allowed him to transition into various roles during a time where the company's revenue was growing organically by over 50 times under private ownership. So growing a business rapidly and organically, it meant that Rod had to wear many hats. So he developed many talented people. He was willing to take on any assignment while learning and doing at the same time. And after serving in multiple roles and helping to transform the business and playing a key role in the sale of the business twice to private equity investors, it was time to take that 18 years of experience and really find out if they were transferable. So in 2009, Handuck Industries was a small niche power transformer business in the early 90s by an entrepreneur on the strength of one single product. The owner had grown the business organically based on his technical expertise, but he no longer had the ability to continue growing his business so Rod was recruited by this owner to build and execute a growth strategy that would allow the owner to be hands-off except for technical input. Over the next 10 years, this business grew four times, acquired three other businesses in the sector, and reorganized into two product-focused divisions. 
Rod joined Glenn Dimplex America in 2019, where sales growth was already underway, but the organization was struggling to execute at the operations level. Rod spent three years with Glenn Dimplex reorganizing their supply chain, building a more efficient distribution network, assuming control of the product engineering process, and expanding domestic manufacturing capacity. Although there was more to do, Rod knew the builder realized that the ideal place for his skills was in small to medium-sized enterprises struggling to break through the growth ceiling. In 2022, Rod was recruited by Giftcraft Inc., a wholesale consumer product business that had recently been sold by the founding family to private equity investors. The newly added CEO was looking for a COO with a very specific skill set, one with experience in rapid growth environments, M&A experience on both sides of the table, someone that could design and implement business operating systems, develop people and drive efficiencies. One year into this journey has already been exciting and a very eye-opening experience. So sit back and grab a cup of coffee because you're going to enjoy listening to my interview with Chief Operations Officer Rod Anderson. So it's exciting for me to have you on the show today, Rod. So welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm I'm excited to showcase you as a heart-centered man, a heart-centered executive. And I think our goal today is just to have a fun conversation to let people know that I've often said on the show our sector doesn't matter. Where we live and do business doesn't matter. And, and what does that mean? We're, we're a borderless society now with technology. And I think COVID has really allowed people to stop and pause and really prioritize what's important. And at the end of the day, we're all in the people business, which I know you love talking about. So I'm going <clears> to, <throat> excuse me, I'm going to dig right in and I'm going to ask you my first leadership question. And imperfections allowed on the show. It's it's the title. So laughter, going off on a tangent, telling us something great, all permitted. So my first question, and I really thought of you when I crafted this, what is the greatest part of being a COO? And for those of you, just a reminder, Chief Operations Officer, if this acronym is new to you. Yeah, it's a good question. Um you know, for, for operators, people, I mean, the given and it looks things like supply chain and, and moving product around. But for me, it's about the people. And uh, so what makes an organization great? You know, from a couple of perspectives, I think the first one is really, you know, I have a, a real privilege as a, as a leader in the business to be able to develop the future leaders of, of the organization. And they don't have to necessarily be operations people, but just people in general. I love that the challenges of of organizational design and succession planning and identifying rent potential and, and building career paths for people. And and for me, that is the sort of the puzzle or the or the riddle that that separates sort of really amazing organizations from from other organizations is really how those people are given opportunities and, and mentorship and, and things like that. So for me, watching people sort of grow and succeed and, and um, under your care it, it is really one of the sort of the greatest gifts of, of leadership. 
Uh, I love it when people put up their hand and say they want to do more. I mean, the, the raw material that you have to work with and, and anxious people that want to learn and succeed is, is amazing. So, and, and I think, you know, you brought up a good point about COVID changing a lot of things. I mean, for me as a CEO, the other privilege I have is learning from those same people. The future leaders of, of our organizations over the last few years, you know, under the cloud of COVID have really learned to adapt and communicate differently and embrace technology and, and find different leadership styles of their own. And, and for someone who's been in business for a while, it's been a real opportunity to learn from most people, watch how resilient they are, how flexible they are and, and most kind of things. So. It, it's really been on sort of a tremendous opportunity to get closer to to a team of good people as they as they navigate their way through sort of different scenarios. So that's been that's been fun for for me as a as a CEO. But I think probably the, the last sort of big thing for me is you know the partnership I get to have with you know my my peers in the, in the business. If you're if you're lucky in business to be a CEO, I think. Um, You'll find a really good partner in a CEO and, you know, you'll get the opportunity to be sort of a co-CEO and a CEO in an organization. You know, for me, I, I have a really good CEO partner that I work with. You know, we share our, our values, our vision, our purpose, our, our heart-centered approach to, to leading business, transparency, communication, the, the importance we place on people. So having that that partnership is a great part of being that, that CEO in an organization is being able to, to make a difference and have somebody, you know, have the support and somebody in your organization help to do that. What I love about that answer, it ties in nicely with the post I did on, on LinkedIn this week because I think people get kind of fogged clarity when it comes to what is a leader, what is a manager. And to me, if we bring it to the executive level, the CEO is the leader and the COO is the manager because the leader is is driving that that ship. You know, they're at the helm pointing at the North Star. Uh, good ones, I can say that wholeheartedly, are seven to 10 years out. And you're there as their wing person to activate that and put it into action. And it's such a beautiful thing to witness. Um, I get to see it on the daily as a coach. And you're right, it's it's a partnership and leadership, but you continue, continue to foster and grow together, which I think a lot of people, you know, that work below that level, they don't always see that because they see C-suite and they think they have a different perception right away. So it's nice to hear you kind of share that that vision of what it's like to work alongside a CEO. And, and I know that we've had conversations about the CEO of your company, and it's just a privilege. You love working with him. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's funny you say, you know, you mentioned seven to ten years out, and you know, one of the things when I'm when I'm talking to my teams, and we're discussing sort of strategy and tactics and execution, you know, one of the things that I make sure I communicate to people over and over again is, you know, the the different roles in the organization, I hate thinking of organizations as levels up and down, top, bottom, above, below, but I think of them more as time horizons and, and you know, that the CEO has that responsibility of thinking far in advance and, as you say, steering her organization to a, to a North Star and, you know, 
And the rest of us are, are biting off different parts of that time horizon for me, you know, three to five years, strategic planning, improvements I want to make, big projects, people I think I'm going to need, resources that are going to make that that project happen. You know, my team is is thinking about, you know, this fiscal year or this quarter or this month, depending on who they are in the organization. And really, that's how we differentiate ourselves in the business. It's not about, it's not about title. It's not about where you are in the org chart. It's really just about the time horizon that you're responsible for. You're the custodian of in the organization. So it's a little bit of a different perspective. I, I love the word time horizon. It makes me think that it's a collective growth as a team. Yeah. I'm going to ask you my favorite question. It's got permanent residency on the show and it brings a lot of laughter, but it brings a lot of relatability so that we can remove those titles and statures and just look at all of us as people. Yeah. So what imperfections does Rod bring to his heart-centered leadership? Oh boy, that could be a long list. So there's a couple of glaring ones probably. For me, and, and when I think about your sort of your poster and, and some of the imperfections that, that we talk about as a, as a group, you know, owning your character flaws is, is sort of a big one for me, you know, you know, couple of, in a couple of different ways. One, certainly sort of vulnerability, at, you know, in a, in a leadership role is, is tough for some people to sort of allow to happen. You know, I'm, I'm one of those people that certainly over the course of time, I've I've been known to, you know, withdraw from my team a little bit, not struggling with a, with a problem myself or a project or, or um, you know, I, you know, I'm afraid of my team seeing that I don't always have all the answers, um, you know, that I have my own sort of struggles. And, and one of the great things about surrounding yourself with, with good people is, is you become less afraid to let them see that even the CEO know has tried feel learn in their toolbox and you know they're help they're there to help you when when you really need sort of sort of picking up so so for me it's 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 about not being afraid to be sort of vulnerable a little bit and i think i and let's see one of your podcasts not too long ago with um bill johnson he talked about the same thing about vulnerability being a, a strength not a not a weakness and we really sort of i really got a lot out of that my own the other one's probably patience you know, I think, you know, as as we sort of teach people and, and we're responsible for developing and mentoring people, we have to remind ourselves constantly that not everybody learns the same way at the same speed and, and having an expectation that somebody's going to grasp a concept as quickly as you do can certainly create, uh, you know, so impatience as a, as a leader and we have to sort of keep checking that, you know, keep letting people go at their own speed, keep setting realistic expectations for, for people and and I'm a, you know, you know me quite well, a pretty demonstrative person. I can, I can let my body language say a lot about my, my, my patience or, or, um, you know, my, my feelings at a particular time. But, you know, these are, these are some of the things that I'm, I'm not afraid to tell people, look, this is, this is me. This is who I am. And if you see me, don't be afraid to call it out. Two things everybody should know about me is, is uh, I don't take anything personally and I don't mean anything to be personal. I just want to learn and I want to help people learn. And, um, you know, I think if you're honest with people and, and you, and you sort of help people set expectations for you and, and you for them, I think it's, it's really easy to have honest conversations after that. And, and people start to recognize, you know, I ask people come up to me all the time, you know, are you okay? Are you struggling with something? Do you need help? 
And uh, for me, that's a huge success because it means that, you know, I'm sort of letting people see that part of me more and more. So I think, um, and there's some great tools out there too. I think, you know, things like the the disc and the habit finder and stuff, I think around the workplace help people understand each other a little bit better, adapt their communication methods, you know, understand who, who people are and how they behave under certain stresses and things like that. And start to recognize, you know, when people need something. But, but for me, it's about, Sort of letting the, the walls come down and people sort of see who they are and, and, and know some things about you and don't have to guess. Well, and I, I think the three most powerful words from a C-suite leader is, I don't know. Yeah, I would agree. Because we don't know everything. How can we? We're not Google. Yep. It's not like people can do a random inquiry. And you deal with so many different things, much like the CEO. And I think people get, again, muddied in their clarity that you're working in alignment with the CEO, but you're also working aligned with the CFO. And, and operations is, is a big umbrella. And there's many moving pieces and teams. And I love what you said about body language because 85% of our communication is nonverbal. And if people can pick up on that, you know, and pull you aside and say, what's going on with you today? How can I help you? Leaders welcome that as much as they welcome people asking that of them. So it's nice to remove the stature and the title and just work together as people. And I think that's important. And I'm I'm happy that you alluded to that. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you my, my big question, because I get asked this a lot by uh, different titles and statures. What is one of the biggest challenges that you're able to share about being a chief operating officer in today's business climate? Well, well, today's climate has been quite something. I hate to be a cliche when it comes to challenges of the of the CEO, but I would have to say, in a word, I would say volatility. You know, really, these these past few years. You know, I think the, the word change has been replaced with the word volatility or, or volatile. And, and, and it just represents, I think, how extreme that changes have been from month to month, quarter to quarter, year to year. I think everything in, in business right now is just much more volatile. Trends are, are less pervasive, more difficult to spot, smaller many more pressure points in our in our market. We're just much more sensitive to a lot of sort of little things that happen in the world. I think that the pandemic certainly created some circumstances where the, the highs and lows of business are just, just much more extreme than certainly I remember them being you know, a decade ago. Supply chains were full, then they were empty. Now they're full again. The demand spiked during the pandemic, then dropped. It's just been you know, one of those things that's incredibly hard to predict. Who knew that an oil superpower invading the breadbasket of Europe could create so much ripple effects throughout our world on, you know, food prices and gas prices, inflation and interest rates and housing prices in Oxford County and, and things like that. And we're just, I think we're becoming so aware of how connected we are and when something happens in some place outside of your industry outside of your country outside of your sphere it, it, the ripple effect through 
business and life in general is just much more extreme than it needs to. So certainly, I think, you know, the ability for people like us in, in operation roles to, to sort of predict um, what's going to happen next, spotting trends, change, the impact of that change on your organization, it's just become so important uh, to have resources like good business analytics and, and, and things to, to be able to understand what's, what's coming at you react quickly. And I think that's been, that's been one of the biggest challenges of, of COOs, I think is, is trying to progress that reaction, that decision-making cycle in the organization, get a read, make a quick judgment on what's about to happen, make a quick decision, get ahead of it. Um, and then do it again and again and again and keep, Adjusting and adjusting and adjusting. We used to we used to use the word pivot a lot. Pivot is a you know by its nature seems feels big. Now it's now now we use just little course corrections, but rapidly all the time. And and that's been I think adjusting business to be able to make those quick decisions has been has been our challenge. It's interesting because you've almost had to adapt that visionary leadership that the CEO has for the whole entire organization but in the CE, COO space of all the things that you have to do. And like you said, changing the languaging, refri- reframing the time horizon, but like the CEO trying to be ahead of the curve, make the decision, make the delegation and rinse and repeat. And I think it's uh, it's almost like COOs have had to really become more strategic. Yeah, I agree. But- we were at a, we're, we're at our core, we're an 85 year old distribution company, wholesale company in the gift and, and fashion space. Not, not something you would associate with sort of cutting edge analytics, and a lot of strategic thinking, but we definitely had to adapt. And in order to stay, vital and vibrant and continue to grow. We we had to sort of really think about strategy differently in our space and, and adopt technology that companies like us would normally adopt and embrace processes like SNOP and things like that that businesses like ours we normally think are important. But um, strategically, We've had to do it in order to give our people confidence that we're going to be here for the long run. We're going to continue to grow and provide meaningful and quiet jobs and 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 be vital on the markets and bring good products. So, so it's uh, it's been a, it's been an interesting journey, but but I think that's where having people with diverse backgrounds really helps. We've made a point as an organization to bring in people from different spaces, even though. We have, I was telling somebody the other day, we have a wall of fame that we just put up in our, in our lobby with the people that have retired out of the organization in about the last five or six years. And I added it up the other day. There's there's 16 people on the wall totaling 411 years of service. So, you know, we have this incredible legacy of long-serving people that have been in the organization forever. But to really adapt and do something different, we've got to sprinkle in sort of people with different exploring and different backgrounds, like myself, 
and and sort of move that move the strategy forward in that in a different direction. So it's been it's been it's been tons of fun. Well, I can see that just in in you talking about that, and I can see you integrating the the wall of fame and you know the validation even after you leave a company and retire to know that you're a little part of the legacy that carries on. I, I can't think of a nicer validation to give somebody. That's beautiful. So before I ask my next question, I, I want to just say to the listeners, because our listenership is in 65 countries and, and we don't take that lightly. If you're a young executive, I want you to just think of that in those two words, you're a young executive. So it doesn't matter what sector you're in, what your title is. Before I ask Rod this next question, I want you to think about some of the things that Rod has said, because Rod is now a COO and he comes from a mechanical engineer background. So I want you to open up the bandwidth of potential for your vision for clarity And my question for Rod that you can add into your toolkit today is, Rod, what advice will you share today with any young executive, young leader, any young person who maybe wants to climb the ladder of success and maybe land where you are? What advice would you give them? Well, a couple of things, three or four really good points would be for me, and, and what I tell some of the people on, on my team is, is a few things. First of all, is and this one's tough, been tough for me, is, is really know yourself. Don't be afraid, as we just talked about, don't be afraid to acknowledge your flaws. Realize that no matter what you learn today, tomorrow you will know less than you knew today. The, the bar is always moving faster than we can learn, it seems. So don't stop learning. Know yourself. Try to always know what you don't know and continue that, you know, have that thirst or that desire to learn. And, you know, when I meet with HR people about entities for, for roles, I tell them that's my first thing I look for in a person is a desire to learn. And if they have that, I can teach them almost anything. So that, that would be number one. Second would be trust yourself. Even though you're learning, I mean, there are a lot of things that you know. So trust your judgment, trust applying what you've learned so far, Know that you can you can try you can you can fail and can learn you can do it again, but trust yourself to to make decisions. Don't ever let the fact that you're always learning stop you from doing and and do a great thing. So, so I love it when people come to me and say, "Look, I tried this, didn't quite work out the way I thought. This is what I learned. We're going to do it differently next time." So I think you know that's one of the things that I tell people: just trust your judgment, trust your knowledge, and just go forward. Number three, I think, would be don't settle. So, and and what I mean by that is not necessarily don't settle for a certain role or don't settle for a certain place in business, but essentially every day people make the same decision over and over again. And that decision is is really a choice between doing the right thing and doing the easy thing. Don't ever settle for the easy thing. Um, The right thing is hard. So always sort of pursue right over easy. Do things twice if it means not doing it long. Why I always tell people don't settle for something that you know is not living up to your expectations. And and I think that probably brings me to to number four. And I'll try to keep the list of four. But tell people 
and my team always use pride as a measure. My favorite question for people on my team when they when they complete a project or a task or we work on something together and we want to put a bow on it, I will always look at them and say, are you proud of this? And that's a much different question than are you okay with this? Are you good with this? Is this done? When you when you ask somebody if they're if they're proud of something, you can physically see them pause for a second, think about it, and and they want to answer yes. And if they're not, they will kind of tell you, no, not quite yet. There's a couple of things we need to do before I'm proud of this. So I think use pride as a measure would be for me a, a most. I love that, and you know. The body language and listening to the words and the emotion attached to what is unsaid is such a great marker when you're using pride. And you want to hand something in or talk to your, you know, supervisor or whoever it may be. But when someone says to you, are you proud of this? Does it ever take on a different meaning? Absolutely. I love that. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to switch to my fab four. I might even participate in the first question. Okay, if I asked your family, your friends, your coworkers, anyone who knows you to describe Rod in one word, what would it be? Ooh, I would have to go with passionate. I think, and that can be a, that can be a good thing or not so good thing, <laughs> who you ask. But you know, definitely at, at work, I'm, I'm passionate about the about the pursuit of, of what I know is possible. Uh, I think it, it makes me, act, you know, I call myself an asset with a purpose. And to me, that that passion of, of always sort of moving forward and learning is kind of what defines me. Sometimes it, it looks like a dog with a bone that won't let go. But for me, it's about, you know, knowing that better is just, just within reach. Um, so I would have to go with, with passionate. If I had to describe you in one word without reservation, not even thinking about it, my word for you would be authentic. You are what you see is what you get. And and you are proud in, in standing in that space. Uh, imperfections and all, not afraid to throw your hand up and say, I don't know, but then you follow that up by saying, I don't know, but I'm going to find out which shows that you're still learning and growing, which is to me the epitome of being a heart-centered leader. I mean, it's a, it's a source of pride to, to be not a, not a weakness of any, any means. So I'm definitely not afraid to, to say, I don't know, but I'll find it. Absolutely. Okay, second question. Okay. Name your favorite book. And again, just to provide you with some context, this can be at any time in your life. Okay. What's a book that was impactful to you? And if you can share the name of the book, the author, and, and why it was impactful. So I was introduced to a book in the early 90s. Actually, my my former CEO made it mandatory. <laughs> um, and the book's called Enlightened Leadership by um, Doug Krug and Ed Oakley. And... Uh, I read it probably in 93 or 94 for the first time. And I was very fortunate to be able to spend some time with uh, Doug Krug after reading the book the first time 
doing a little bit of workshopping and, and things like that. But this is a book I've probably read eight or 10 times. And I just keep going back to it because probably every book I've read since by Cavi or Lencioni or Simon Sinek or whoever, all I think pull concepts that I was first introduced to in, in Dunn's book around the valiant people and, and giving people something to uh, strive for, how to get people primed uh, the common cause, um, acting, asking effective questions, um, things like that. Just a lot of things in this book really sort of, I think, baked the lab king as a, as a leader. I've recommended this book to many people over the years. I've probably purchased about 15 or 20 copies of it. So, um, But I think that for me, that was probably the most impactful leadership book I ever, I ever read. It's a good one. And it's been mentioned on the show before. And I like that you alluded to the fact that you go back to it. When, when we go back to a book, whether it's for a situation or just an annual, I'm going to grab another, you know, nugget of wisdom from it. You know, that's a good book. I'm sure it's, uh, I'm sure it's got a little bit of worn to it and some pages are marked. You know, that's a good book. It's, uh, it's very yellow. Um, and the bookmark is the picture that we took with Doug Krug on the retreat that we did with them back in 94. So it was, um, it's been well used. Well, and it's got a special place in your heart, which again is, you know, another element to your heart-centered leadership that, and you go back, you know, frequently, like you said, to, to reread it. I love that. Yeah, I did recommend it to someone recently and, and warned them that, you know, the case studies might not seem, you know, current, but, you know, her concepts are solid. And she came back to me after reading it and said, no, you're right. But even the case studies now, like business seems to have come full circle. And a lot of even the case studies from early 90s seem to be relevant again. And I said, yeah, I mean, you're right. It is, it's kind of a sort of full circle moment. when, when you put- It's like fashion, Rod. It, it comes back. Okay, third question. You get to have dinner with a leader. Context again, the leader could be living, they could have already passed away. Who is the leader of your choice and what is the dinner conversation? Well, well I've been asked this question a lot over the years and over the years it, it changes just based on sort of where I am and life and career. And I think it normally would be somehow linked to the things that I'm trying to learn myself. So again, at the risk of being a little bit I think today, if I were to answer that question, it would be probably Barack Obama. And, and, and the reason is, I think one of the things I struggle with personally, and I, I'm always, I'm currently trying to become better at, is public speaking and engaging an audience and delivering an important message and, and getting people sort of really behind and, and supportive of, of, a, of a cause. And, and as leaders, I think that's a critical skill. And, and when I think back to, to Obama, whether you, regardless of Patriot about politics, I think as a, as a speaker, as a person who could really move people, he stands out to me as one of the, one of the great speakers of our, of our time. And I watch video well and over and over again. And I think I could have, dinner with him and pick his brain about 
the things that motivate him, how he prepares, things like that, how, how, you know, how he became so passionate about so many things and how he connects with people. I think, you know, that would be, that, for me, that would be something that would just sort of fuel my growth as an individual. Okay, well, I'll make you a deal. If you get dinner, invite me. And if I get dinner, I'll invite you. Because I always have fun with my executives. And when they're talking, I always say, watch the videos of Barack Obama. We call it the Barack Obama Five. He always takes a breath and takes five seconds. Got it. And people laugh. And I'm like, go back and watch him. His body language and how he just, yeah, he's amazing. And it's, you know, if you had to answer that question for one of your staff, you would just say, be yourself, be relaxed, have fun. You know, it's so easy to give other people advice. But my Irish Nana used to say, if you're not nervous before you give a talk, participate in a panel, she said, I would be more worried. She said, the butterflies are there to keep the ego in check. So that's good advice, I think. I never forgot that. Lots of deep breaths, I take Yeah, yeah. But if, you, if you're an Obama fan and you haven't listened to the Renegades podcast with, with him and, and um, Bruce Springsteen, it's, it's gold. Have to- it's, a, it's a great podcast. It's, yeah. it, they are a dynamic duo. But what I love the most about them, two guys, two different worlds, two different upbringings, and yeah. they are the best of friends. And, and their love of music is what really created the foundation of trust and rapport for their friendship. Yeah, and it really shows you that like-mindedness can come in so many different forms, right? So it's, it really is an amazing pair. I would have never thought to put those guys together, but they are truly friends away from that. They uh, opposites attract, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, before I give you my, my last question... I have to give everybody an update and it's an update that I've been so nervous to say, but I'm getting ready to release my book campaign. Well, good for you. I I have not told anybody the name of my book. So you're the first to hear it, Rod, along with everybody else listening. So the title of my book is The Heart-Centered Leadership Playbook. Very nice. And it's a, a combination of my tools, my heart-centered leadership model. It's got some interviews from the podcast. It's a mix of stories and my own writing. But my goal and the subtitle is to help people master the art of heart in life and leadership. So I, I hope people enjoy the lightness, the funness, and that everybody can incorporate that. But the biggest thing for me is that it's going to help leaders realize there's room in business acumen and in their leadership toolkit for this type of languaging and for this type of leadership. And that's that's what I'm really excited about. So I'm looking forward to reading it and recommending it. Well, I might make you a beta reader now that you've offered. You never know, Rod. I always love a good book. I'm so honored that you took time. I know what a schedule is like for C-suite leaders. I know how hard it is to have white space, which I hope I did not interfere with. And just grateful that you took time to share a little bit about who you are and your leadership journey. And just love seeing you thrive in your new role at your new company. And 
who would have thought a mechanical engineer would have ended up in giftware as a COO? It's amazing that 18 years of automotive parts manufacturing experience prepared me for this. But it did. And, you know, I think this conversation is going to help so many young professionals, but even people in midlife, you know, now called modern elders. And that's from 45 and up that might be looking for a shift. And anything's possible when you go back and, and look at your leadership story and pack up those transferable skills. And, and you're a living example of that. So, so grateful to have you on the show. Thank you for spending time with me today. Thank you for having me. And I'm going to have you finish the show by finishing this sentence for us. Heart-centered leadership is? The right choice over the easy choice. You know, there is no more correct way to lead than with heart. There's a there's an old cliche that, that you don't choose to lead by example. You just choose the example you lead by. But I think heart-centered leadership is a choice, and it's the right choice. And I think as more minds become open and more people become aware that this is the kind of choice that people move towards, people are, are attracted to, people support, um, people want it, emulate, I think heart-centered leadership is just the right choice. Thanks for joining me today on Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I hope that you've enjoyed the show today and learned some new tools for your leadership from our amazing heart-centered guest. And if you like the show, we would welcome a rating and review on whatever platform you listen to. And we would love to have any comments or feedback at any time. And if you want some more heart-centered goodness, head over to our daily blog, masteringtheheart.com.